let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolaya. Hello and thanks for joining today. We have been in the last months talking once about the LEI, the Legal Entity Identifiers. And today we are going to hear very innovative business models that combine some of the solutions to the challenges with LEIs. And for that, we have a very interesting guest today, who is Ben Croning. Ben is Managing Director at Ubo Service. Serial entrepreneur Ben Cronin founded Global Business Register in 2008. Global Business Register morphed into Kicker over the following years and Kicker listed on the Sydney Stock Exchange in 2016. Kicker provided award-winning commercially proven products for the authentication of businesses globally. Kicker developed APIs and cloud-based decision engines for best-in-class KYC, Know Your Customer, Due Diligence, and Customer Onboarding. Ben is a supporter of Mastrem's organization, NOYB, European Center for Digital Rights. The fight for data privacy is important for all citizens. Ben has played professional rugby with Munster and Ireland in the 90s. Other of his personal interests include tennis, whiskey, science, and family. Hi, Ben. Hello, Oscar. How are you? Very good. It's a pleasure having you today to hear the very innovative services and business models that Ubo Service is offering today. So before talking on that, I'd like to hear even a bit more about you. So please tell us how your career led you to this world of digital identity. Thank you, Oscar. Um, as you mentioned, I was fortunate enough to play professional rugby. So in the 90s, the game of rugby went professional in 1995. And I was fortunate enough to be, I suppose, playing at a level that I, I played each game when I was amateur. And then when I went professional, I started getting paid to something that I loved, which was fantastic. I did that for about 10 years. And I guess when I, uh, when I finished that, I needed to get a real job. I needed to go back to something normal. I had done business studies in college and I started a couple of businesses in the early 2000s that were very much related to property and property development, which at the time was relatively a good route to pick as I'm Irish and I'm based in Ireland. At the time, Ireland was going through a property boom and that business was quite successful for a number of years. And then when the financial meltdown happened in 2007, 2008, at that stage, I had in my head an idea that became GBR Direct, a company called GBR Direct. And that is a company that then became Kicker. And the idea was simple. The idea was to build a connection to all the company houses across Europe and ultimately across the world. So all companies or all countries generally have a government run registry where you register companies and The one in Ireland is called the Company Registration Office. The Company's House is the one in the UK. And you've got versions of company houses all over the world. And what I could see in terms of the idea was that these registries were all quite insular. And the idea was just to build one access point to all the registries. And when we first launched the service, I set up the business with a friend of mine called Robert Leslie. In 2007, we registered a company. And we really didn't have a product going until 2009. And when we went live in 2009, we had 12 countries in our network. So that meant that customers that needed company data from various countries could log into one service and get access to 12 European countries through one portal. 
and ultimately through one API. And our target customers then were banks, financial institutions who had obligations to source that kind of data. And um, we then focused on building out that network. And when I left Kicker in early 2020, Kicker had over 200 registries in their network. So that network grew over the years to be a full global service. And customers that consume that data and continue to do would be a lot of the big financial institutions, the likes of Bloomberg, Citigroup, JP Morgan, and thousands of other users that would be uh, working in that financial services space. And that was the genesis of the company. And we, over that period, also started building out other services that were based on that access to that data. And that really is a space that is very highly regulated. And the more regs that came down from the EU or from the FCA in the UK or the SEC in the States, those are all regulators and they would big drivers of business for Kicker. We were fortunate enough to do an IPO with Kicker on the Sydney Stock Exchange in 2016. And I left Kicker in January 2020 to set up this new business that we call UBO Service, UBO standing for Ultimate Beneficial Owner. And that's where we're at. So I've worked all through COVID at building this business. And essentially, we went live with a service in December of 2020. And we fully went live with our portal and our APIs in the first week in January. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Now, after this long experience, and of course, you've been also founder of Kicker now, you both service is this new venture you have. And I can see from you have very innovative business models. But before telling us about Yubo service, tell us if you can paint a picture for everybody, the problems, the challenges that we have today in Yubo services solving. Yeah, sure. So everything I've done with the Yubo service has been influenced, I suppose, by my background with Kicker. Kicker is a fantastic service. And what it's really good at is getting access to primary source data which regulators will always rank as the best of data. However, there is legislation that's come out over the last probably 10 years, anti-money laundering directives in particular in Europe, the fourth, the fifth, and now the sixth uh, directive have all come out, as I said, in the last number of years. And they're all pushing for more transparency, more obligations for companies to understand who they're doing business with. Do you know your customer? Um, do you know who owns the company that you're doing business with? And these are all, as the AML directive suggests, this is all about anti-money laundering and countering money laundering, and particularly in the financial sector, but also across a much broader set of companies that would now be referred to as obliged entities. These would include financial institutions, banks, funds, foreign exchange, estate agents, lawyers, accountants, and more. So there's a much bigger cohort of obliged entities now than ever before. One of their obligations is to understand who owns the companies that they're doing business with. And this is important in the context of when you're onboarding, if you're an obliged entity and you're onboarding new customers, and those customers are corporates or companies, obliged entities now have to find out who owns that company, who is the natural person that has control or ownership of that company. And this legislation is European-wide at the moment, but we see that other countries are starting to follow suit. And there's now a beneficial owner registry going to be created in the United States, in Canada, Australia, New Zealand. They're talking about it in Singapore, Hong Kong, across Asia. So there's a real momentum in governments establishing beneficial owners. One of the problems, though, is that 
what we saw over the last number of years is that companies have an obligation to find out who the beneficial owners of the company are. They may be able to find that out from their own government registry, but they have to confirm that against other sources. And there's two ways of doing that. You can confirm it against other reliable sources, or you can confirm it with the company themselves. And this is the essence of what Yubo service is. We feel that it's more appropriate and it's a better quality if we get a Yubo information confirmed by a director of the company itself. And what we do is we facilitate that process on our portal and through our APIs. We can allow a director of a company who is legally mandated to sign on behalf of their company, and they can sign a declaration to say that the beneficial owners of our company are as follows. And we facilitate that on a with a digital signature on our platform. And it's a very, very slick and easy process. And we think it's better in terms of quality than relying on other data sources because we have a view that other data sources aren't may not be so reliable. And there's issues with out-of-date data being used if you go to other data sources. And that's the essence of the service. Um, we capture information on the beneficial owners of a company, and then we get a director of that company live to sign and confirm who the beneficial owners of that company are. And then we match, we see that those two data sets match. And if they match, then our customers who are obliged entities can then be satisfied that they've done the appropriate checks to onboard that customer. And that's kind of the essence of the service, Oscar. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I can see, as you said, the cohorts, the type of organizations that are now obliged to follow such regulations, uh, it's growing, which is a good thing. And yeah, I can see you have the solutions for that. I also know that because we're working now, Secure and Yubo Services starting to work together, um, you are starting to use LEIs. Please tell us a bit, as a refresher, what LEIs are and then how it comes to the formula for Yubo Services. Yeah, so the LEI is, is a 20-character alphanumeric code. It's based on an ISO standard, and it was essentially created by the Financial Stability Board in 2014, which is essentially the G20 organization. And it's designed to be a unique identifier for an entity. And key to it is that it connects to key reference information that enables clear and unique identification of legal entities participating in financial transactions. So. Because it's a unique identifier and it's essentially a code, um, this allows for enhanced transparency when you're doing business or when a company is doing business, particularly if you're doing business with another entity that might be an overseas entity. If you know their LEIs, then there's enhanced, I suppose, transparency in that. And then you can answer questions to yourself about who is this company, who owns this company. The LEI helps facilitate an understanding of the ownership structure of that entity or that company. And it essentially puts all the LEI data also into a global directory, which means companies can look up that data in a really easy way. And LEIs are managed by Drive, which oversees and collects and runs this database or global directory. And that really makes it easier to kind of check out the bona fides of an entity that you're doing business with. And that's the essence of what an LEI is. Because it's a unique identifier, it can, it's much more efficient for lots of reasons. There's an assumption, everybody assumes that company names are unique, but in many jurisdictions, the company name is not unique to that one company. And 
DLEI is always a unique identifier within the global system. And that is really important to cut down on errors and to really kind of push your bona fides or transparency about your entity or the entity you want to do business with. And why the LEIs are useful for your service? Well, in terms of what we're trying to do, I suppose one of the central tenets of anti-money laundering rules and know your customer rules, there's a couple of steps that obliged entities are required to take. And one of them is a very simple sounding, I suppose, but one important step is to identify and verify the company. And this is simply verifying and confirming the company registered name, registered number, registered address, registered status, and everything then flows down from those data points. Once you establish those data points against an official source, everything flows appropriately and accurately from that point on. When we looked at what LEIs bought to the table and the way LEIs were structured and set up, it was very obvious to us that adding the LEI to that identification piece was very powerful because you're really identifying the entity and verifying the entity to a very high standard by using data that we get from official government registries. Adding that to an LEI just makes complete perfect sense to us because there are a number of standards inherent in getting an LEI issued and that really feeds into our mantra about using official appropriate and the best in class data sources when you're onboarding a customer. So by getting that right at that early stage, the life cycle of that customer is, is much easier to manage if you capture the really accurate information at the start. And then other checks that can be built in to our service would include confirming who directors are, who board members are, confirming who shareholders are, confirming who beneficial owners are. Everything feeds much more efficiently from that starting point if you get the data really accurate at that first starting point. And LEI gives us, I suppose, continues that kind of really high standard of verification check that we're trying to build into our UBO service. And in the processes of know your customer, um, customer due diligence, enhanced due diligence, how the LEI issuance process is adding value into that. Please tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So there are various standards that apply to obliged entities that require the obliged entity themselves to understand risk profile of their customers. So generally across the industry, a bank or a financial institution will have certain methods to score customers. And they generally divide them into three brackets, low risk, medium risk, and high risk. And very often banks would have rules that they interpret themselves in order to kind of create these three brackets. Obviously, with the low-risk customers, the majority of a standard retail bank, the majority of their customers will be low-risk. But when they get into medium and higher risk, they've got more obligations, basically, to do further checks. And one of the obligations is to essentially do enhanced due diligence, particularly for high-risk customers, because the bank may have may deem this customer to be high risk for a variety of reasons. And when they're deemed high risk, enhanced due diligence is more appropriate. And what's really important for obliged entities is that they apply, they can show to a regulator how they risk profile their customers and then how they treated high risk customers differently than low risk customers in terms of the scrutiny and the level of checks that they introduce in their enhanced due diligence process. And our view was that we had a service that was of a standard, a very high standard, but we knew we had customers who would look to 
do enhanced due diligence on certain customers of theirs. So our approach was to allow our customers that when they were onboarding customers, their customers using our service, that they could sign up for an LEI whilst they were onboarding their customers. Our service has rapid LEI API embedded so that an LEI can be issued in the process as well as a UBO service report. We can also get an LEI issued through the rapid LEI infrastructure that we've embedded in our service. And that just means that when a regulator checks with the obliged entity, they can see that, that the obliged entity has enhanced due diligence around that customer. And that can include more than just the standard stuff, obviously, but stuff that can be screening. Individuals can be screened using our service for politically exposed persons or sanction lists or negative press. And also we have service that ID and verifies the directors as well. And all that information can be captured into the UBO service report. The LEI tagged onto that as well, which also does other checks on signatories and shareholders. And together, collectively, it's a very robust enhanced due diligence report. And that is something that our customers are asking for already. Just a clarification, when you mentioned a high-risk customer, that's because of the nature of these customers or is because based on some credit reports? or Yeah, it can be a mix. So generally, financial institution or bank will have a number of parameters. And when a customer comes in, if a customer is involved in a certain industry, it might be deemed high-risk. So explosive manufacturing might be an obvious one or if they're in a location that's high risk ge geographically if they're from a certain geo a bank might deem that to be high risk because they're not au fait with that region or that country so there's many many reasons why a bank would deem customer high risk it could be because the customer is of size there's, there's more money coming through so it requires more due diligence because it's a bigger customer That's all these financial institutions and banks would generally work off the set of rules, but they would interpret it in different ways. And they will all have their own versions of scoring, scoring customers as they come in. And credit scores can easily be part of that as well. Okay, yes. Yeah. Every financial institution, for instance, is assessing who is high risk customer, who is not. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. I know that Evo Service is in the process of working with RapidLEI and Eglife to gain validation agent approval. So please tell us about that. So Clive announced in September 2020 a validation agent framework. And essentially what they're trying to build, what Clive are trying to introduce is something that enables financial institutions to improve their customers' experience, accelerate client lifecycle management and reduce the costs of know your customer checks and anti-model laundering onboarding. And for the very same reasons that I would have outlined on this discussion around why LEIs are important, in my view, and in my customer's view, to their onboarding process. Glyph have taken the view that where the process that's embedded, and if you consider the process that we've embedded, Glyph may deem the process to be of such a high standard that it may be possible for us to issue LEIs whilst onboarding customers on behalf of banks, for example. And that's very neat in the context of Ubo service selling a service into a bank, whereby we can say that a bank can toggle a button and order an LEI whilst the same process is going on for us to issue them with a Ubo service report. So by essentially toggle a button, the issuance of an LEI comes automatically if they get through the Ubo service process. That's really efficient in terms of the technology and 
DigLife and I suppose it's UberSecure's job, and this is an ongoing discussion right now where UberSecure and RapidAI are talking to DigLife and explaining how the Ubo service process works. And assuming that DigLife are, are satisfied with that process, then we can start issuing banks with LEIs for their customers as and when they need them. The attraction for a bank is that they've got one integration to do with their Uber service. And in within that one integration, they can also just switch on LEI issuance as well. And that's just in a very efficient process. So it's all about the proposition of banks is that a bank can streamline its client onboarding and lifecycle management process. It's thereby improving customer experience. And it can also use the LEI as an innovative service offerings. So it's just much more efficient for a bank to take that all in one service instead of taking a Yugo service that facilitates onboarding and then trying to buy LEIs over there. We're trying to meld that into one process. Um, and that's, that's super exciting. And hopefully some banks will see that as being an exciting proposition for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds very efficient. Sounds like a really powerful value proposition. The other point about our Oscar is that it just it's a better customer experience. I mean, banks... When they're onboarding customers, there is a bit of a pain point for customers. And there's a huge amount of research as to customer dropout rate when they're being onboarded for financial institutions. It can be quite high. And customer friction is something banks don't like. The beauty of having, having the LEI issuance piece or service is that you're really only interacting with that end customer once at that onboarding point. And you're facilitating them and making it as easy as possible for them to essentially set up their account and you're going to them in one go you're just being far more efficient in that one interaction with the customer and a lot of what we're trying to do is trying to automate that and that requires one interaction with the customer in certain edge cases it may require one or two or maybe three interactions with the customer but if that's only the edge cases then that's really positive because at the moment there's a lot of to and fro with the customer we're trying to facilitate just one customer contact at the start and if you do right at the start, it's far easier to kind of keep that up to date downstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, couldn't I agree more. Ben, last question I'd like to ask you is, for all business leaders that are listening to us now, what is the one actionable idea that they should write on their agendas today? Well, this is something that I've learned. And it's a phrase that goes like this, sales go up and down, service stays forever. Now, I'm not sure it's an action point, but it's a lesson that I've learned. And it struck me when Robert, Leslie and I set up uh, GBR Direct in 2007, we were a two-man operation trying to sell a service into banks and into the big international banks in particular, which were our sweet spot customers. That was hard, as you can imagine. We were a two-man operation in Waterford in Ireland, and we were over in London trying to sell into the big banks. And we kind of made a promise to ourselves. The one thing we would do was that we had a phrase and it was whenever there was an error or a problem, if somebody hit our help desk, which was essentially managed by Rob and I, we had a phrase, we're going to kill them with kindness. So all that was about was we're tiny. So they've come to us and they have an issue or they have questions. Let's really be reactive and really enhance our service back to them. And they may remember us and may stick with us. And our first two customers from our very first expo in London, the first two customers were Deutsche Bank and UBS, two huge banks. And they are still customers of Kicker now because we just established a rapport with them. 
and we were just all over them whenever there was issues because we were getting a benefit from them, obviously, but we were getting an added benefit from them in that we were able to react to any issues that they had and questions and enhance our service over time. And we could do that because we were killing them with kindness. We'd give them free data. We'd give them free documents. We'd really, really go over the top. And they remembered us for it. And that's why service stays forever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like a lot this learning point that you just gave us. And yeah, service is really part of your business because it's, you both service. Fantastic. It was a pleasure talking with you, Ben. Please tell us how people can get in touch with you or find more about Ubo Service. What are the best ways for that? Our website is uboservice.com, spelled U-B-O-S-E-R-V-I-C-E, uboservice.com. And on that website, there's access to our portal. Follow us on Twitter, link in with us. And we're very proactive on social media. And we are positioning ourselves as expertise in Know Your Customer and Anti-Money Laundering. Our team is very strong and very experienced in that space. And all can be accessed on our website. Excellent. Many ways to find you. Um, again, it was a pleasure talking with you, Ben, and all the best. Thank you, Oscar. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by UBSecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubsecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at ubsecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time, 